I have all day been struggling with my voice. I said, it's got to be this pollen. I don't know. what I'm taking allergy medicine every day, but it's like I'm not taking anything. My nose has been stuffed up all day long. And uh, I'm just looking for, uh, for it to, at any minute, just stop functioning. So if I... Uh, you know, if, if y'all think you can't hear me, don't don't turn your hearing aids up. It's probably it's probably my voice going away. I may have inadvertently insulted somebody. I didn't want to do that. So <laughs> uh, let's jump back into the book of James here. Uh, we I think we left off in chapter four, and we will probably um, we'll probably finish it out uh, this evening, depending on how the discussion goes um, but we were we've been we've been looking at all of these these points that James wants to make to his audience uh, again about the immature Christian and challenges that you face and things that you succumb to and problems that exist uh, when you are not rightly um, uh, following God's word and not rightly doing things that you're called to do and so we, we left off last week, we were talking about worldliness, and we were talking about um, uh, the, the, the quarrels and fights that, that happen among um, folks who get too attached to the world and what that can lead to. But as you know, James is also cautioned about many other things as he's gone down through um, the first four chapters here. And... One of the things that we're going to look at this evening has to do with boasting about tomorrow. Uh, but before we get into that, I want us to take a look at the last portion of uh, the section of, of worldliness. We kind of left off, left it hanging a little bit, verses 11 through uh, 12, though the final two. And we just talked about humbling yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So we, 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 if you remember, we gave that example of how Ray Comfort witnesses to people on the street. He gives them the law in order to try to humble their hearts and let them see that they're, 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 they're really truly sinners in God's eyes and that they should be humbled. And then that opens up the door for the Lord to exalt them and help them to understand why they need a savior. And uh, then we got into to verse 11 and kind of blew through that quickly. But let's read 11 and 12 once again and, and uh, just discuss it briefly. Verse 11, <clears throat> James writes, <clears throat> Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So there's a there's there seems to be a bit of a connotation there or a... Um, some sort of a, of a of a context I think we need to pay attention to because he's just finished talking about all of these these issues that people are facing and then he warns them not to speak evil against another brother and he says the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and therefore judges the law um, what does that? I mean, what does that kind of sound like to you? I mean, it's it. it I'll re, let me just set the stage this way. The ESV study notes do this. They say James restates a basic problem behind the issues discussed in chapter three, uh, chapter three, verse one through four ten. Talks about the misuse of the tongue to speak evil or to slander others. And so he's talking about speaking ill of others is the result of all the arrogant boasting, the jealousy, self-centered desires, and pride. And these are all the things that James has warned against. So, so the, the, the context here is, or appears to be, James is saying, I've told you about all these things you got to watch out for. I've told you about pride. I've told you about boasting. And when you take those things and you start to puff yourself up by speaking ill against another one of your brothers and knows how he's phrasing this. He's talking to Christians. He's talking about speaking ill against other Christians and other brothers. And so he's saying that when you do that, um, you're, you're speaking against a brother or judging a brother. You are speaking evil against the law 
and you're judging the law, which is a very serious thing to do. And when we talk about the law at this point, it's likely a reference to the Old Testament laws against slander. It's likely a reference to Old Testament um, laws against um, that we find in Leviticus. And, and it leads to how you should love your neighbor as yourself. And James refers to loving your neighbor as yourself as the royal law. And so he's saying, essentially, when you take these these selfish desires and all these things that we've warned you against, and you start speaking ill of others, you're you're breaking the law and you're judging the law, saying the law is not good enough, and you're drawing your own conclusions. And so, in a broader sense, you're speaking out against the law. And if you speak out against the law, what are you doing? It says if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So by connecting all these things together, you're making yourself God. You're speaking out against the one who created the law. And so pay pay very close attention to what you're doing when you speak evil against other brothers. You may be putting yourself in a situation where you're essentially elevating yourself above God. And he's saying, that's, you don't want to be found there. You don't want to be found in a situation where you're, where you're doing that. So it ties in with the talk that we had last week um, about controlling the tongue and the power of the tongue. Right? Anybody have anything to add to that? Well, I mean, going back to the verse he was referring to, like, love your brothers yourself, was he also, like... Um, for some reason, I'm thinking that Jesus had, had said those words himself also, and he says, and I've come to fulfill the laws, and I hang these, you know, like love your brothers. And yes. I hang these on the laws. So it would be referring like back to that for Jesus. He sure. Said, you know, this, you need to love each other as yourself, you know, because all the other laws hang, hang on this. Hang on that. Absolutely. I think you can make a connection. And, uh, and, and of course, what does James say? When you break one law, you've broken them all. Um, so so there's, there, there's no way to escape it here, is there? Um, there's no way to escape it. But he, go, but he, but he makes a, a, a very uh, a concerted effort here to tie so much to us speaking ill of others and saying the wrong things and, and using our tongue in ways that are just just evil. Uh, he doesn't pull any punches. And he tells us where it comes from. It comes from Satan. Jimmy, do you have something? Yeah, cool. And this footnote, it really kind of puts it all together. It says, when we fail to love, we are actually breaking God's law. Examine your attitude and actions towards others. Do you build up people or tear them down? When you are ready to criticize someone, remember God's law of love and say something good instead. <laughs> Saying something beneficial to others will cure you of finding fault and increase your ability to obey God's law of love. If you can't say something nice, don't say it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, there it's, it's saying if you're thinking something negative, say something nice. Yeah. 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 Well, because look, if you're going to just be quiet, but... yeah. If, if okay, so so let let's take that at, let's take that at face value and, and let's put this in, in context, right? It, it, James is warning you about speaking ill of others, but does that not tell us if we look at that footnote? Let's find the good in people. Let's find the good things to elevate and raise up instead of beating the tar out of the negativity and, and finding the bad things. There's there's always something good to bring out, always. I don't, I don't care where it is. You can find it. You just got to look hard. And sometimes we have to get past our emotions. We have to get past our selfishness. We have to get past our pride. And we have to do what those footnotes said so succinctly. Let's just say something nice. You're not condemning the person. You're God's creation of what God has made. You are. Yeah, you really are. And and that is a it when you think about doing that, it, it really should give you pause. Yeah, it should give you pause. What's that? Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. The saying hate the sin, love the sinner. Love the sinner. Yeah. 
That's hard one to do. Oh, it's it's so tough. Yeah, it's so tough. I mean, it's and the world is getting. It, it's yeah, you know how the world's getting. I don't have to say anything about that. Um, it's so easy to get off on tangents and start talking about worldly uh, issues and problems. And uh, I'm almost at the point. I, I'm a news junkie, and one of the reasons I'm a news junkie is I like to I like to bring those discussion points into places like this or to use them on Sunday morning, um, either in a message or in Sunday school. And those, you know, knowing what's happening in the world and being able to try to place it in the context of how God's word says we're supposed to process it helps me. But I got to tell you, I'm taking in so much news lately, it's starting to turn me. I'm starting to, to look at things in a, in a negative way. And I said today, I think I'm just going to have to just just turn it all off. Just walk away from it and, uh, and, and, and just make sure I'm reading way more scripture than I am news. Any other comments or questions uh, uh, with regard to the, uh, that, that portion there before we, we get into boasting about tomorrow here at the end of chapter 4? I just think when you, when you start thinking negative of someone or whatever, the best thing that you can do is pray for that individual. Absolutely it is. It is. And I'm, th I'm thinking too, <clears throat> take it that step further though and say a word of encouragement. Mm -hmm. You know, because the, the part of the problem today is we've gotten part of this mess because people haven't spoke up. Yeah. We just let things ride. Now all the insanity is just out there. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question though. How do you tie what you just said to what you just said? Speaking a word of encouragement to speaking up. Because it said to speak and say something, and it didn't say to say nothing. Because <laughs> speaking up doesn't necessarily mean we're going to say something that's encouraging. Well, but it said if we were judging, being judgmental and thinking negative, that we needed to say something encouraging. It didn't say not to say anything at all. Uh, I could. Well, you're, up. those are footnotes. So, no. <laughs> I'm just picking on you, Jimmy, uh, because uh, because I, I think it's it becomes almost impossible if, when our negative when our attitude is negative for us to say anything positive. And so sometimes I think, Carol, what the first step is to go to prayer and say, Lord, I, I got to deal with this. Clear this out of me. Help me find a path to get rid of this negativity and help me see what I need to see. <clears throat> help me find what I need to find. And when we get there, then we can say what, what, we, what we ought to say. Um, but it's a matter of having a mindset in advance to say, no matter how upset I get or how close to this edge I get, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to feed it. I'm not going to, to, to create this you know, blow this, this, this cloud up. And um, that's hard to do. But in the same emergency front, you also have to pray for the individual to have a heart of receiving. Oh, sure you do. Otherwise, they're just going to look at it as judgmental. Look, we have to get our attitude right. We need to pray that their attitude and their heart is right. And we have to have confidence that God's word doesn't return void and use it when we speak. You know, and that, that last piece is something that gets missed sometimes um, because we, we think if we get ourselves right and we pray for someone else's heart, then we go into a discussion and we start to use our own words. And when we start using our own words, then our own attitude starts to come back and our own emotions start to fill over. And sometimes we're, <laughs> we, we wind up just running down that road. Yeah, we pray for other people's heart to change when our hearts won't change. Our hearts won't change, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so bringing God's word into everything and standing on it, um, you know, I, I take a lot of uh, uh, anybody who's ever listened to me long enough knows that I, I take some um, caution with the ministry of answers in Genesis. I'm not, I have, I have no problems with with creationism. I have no problems with the Creation Museum, but I do have a problem with when it comes to ministering to folks standing on the idea that you need to accept a certain portion of the Bible as 100% accurate in order to accept Jesus. Now, that is not what they say, okay? But I have heard people in their organization say, well, if you don't understand that this, that Genesis 1 through 9 is this, 
then how can you ever understand that 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 Jesus is God's son? And and, and I have a problem with that with that connection. And and, and so I will I will say that. And I'm, I'm doing this for a purpose. Bear with me. I will, I will say that when they talk about their ministry of, of creationism, what Ken Ham says is accurate. If you believe that God created everything and you look at the book of Genesis and you understand that it is accurate and that the description of creation is what took place, it becomes easier for you to understand everything else that God would work the way he did through his son, to give us a pathway to salvation. The, they go hand in hand. I look at it the opposite way. I think once you accept Christ, everything else starts to make sense. And so, so I want to go the other way. But, but I, I say that to tell you this, that having the nerve to say the truth and speak the truth at the most inopportune time is difficult. And when the Creation Museum was about to be opened, Ken Ham was being interviewed by CNN. And they said, point blank, why are you doing this? And he said, so that people can come to know Christ. End of story. He said, that's where my heart is. My heart is that people will come to know Christ. And at that moment, he could have said anything. He could have said so that people can see that there's a correlation between science and, and the Bible, or he could have taken all sorts of roadmaps to try and make it easier for people to accept what he was doing. But he said exactly what was in his heart at that moment on national television, I am doing this so that people will come to know Jesus Christ. That's the hardest thing in the world to do. And unfortunately, there are folks in his that are out with his organization that have have warped that message a little bit um and and so i always talk about the creation museum with a with a, a bit of a of a uh, of a an asterisk that i'm behind them 100 as long as they get a cohesive message out there <clears throat> but ken ham had the courage to say what should have been said at that moment if we as believers as followers of christ spend time in scripture and when the opportunity comes up, have the courage to speak what needs to be spoken and let God do the rest. It's going to work. It may not work the way we want it to, but it's going to work the way God wants it to because we were obedient and he used us to do whatever it was he wanted us to do at that moment. And so I'll get off my soapbox. Um, did I stir anybody up or put anybody to sleep? <laughs> they had a couple, couple years ago the trial, there was everybody here trial, Ken Ham and Joe Knight, the science guy, had a big debate. And what my favorite part was at the end, Ken Ham said, You're finished, and your salvation isn't dependent on how old you think the world It is not. So he made some points with me there. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and, and that, that's when, when he says things like that, you can see where his heart is. You can truly see where his heart is. Um, um, but uh, it's it. He, he doesn't. He does not hesitate to speak what needs to be spoken when it needs to be spoken. And I follow him on social media, and uh, my goodness, the man has ridiculed something fierce, and and he he does not back down from anything, and, and I admire him for that. He, he uses God's word to refute whatever is being spoken against him, and I and I admire him for that. Well, let's go ahead and talk about boasting about tomorrow. Something that uh, uh, is, <laughs> boy, this is easy to do. Um, let's just read through 13 through 17, and then we'll discuss it outright. First, go ahead, Barb. I appreciate that. Yes. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Some of my favorite uh, passages out of James here in 13 through 17. Um, let's talk first of all what, 
what James did not say. Um, he did not say that it was wrong to make a plan. He did not say that it was wrong to be in business and to make money. Uh, he, he did not say um, you know, anything against those, those practices that people do on a daily basis. But what he did speak against is the way that we tend to carry out those practices. And he did speak against, I like to, to frame it not only in the, the, the picture of going, you know, making business plans and saying what will happen as a result of those things, but I like to frame it in our daily activity, in our daily lives, when we lay hard and fast plans, the, the, simple, the simple point of this is, as, and I keep saying it, as believers, as followers of Christ, we need to take into consideration that, that God has a plan. And we need to take into consideration that, that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. End of story. And so we need to consider God in everything that we do. And so when we talk about having God involved in every aspect of our lives, that includes making plans. It includes laying foundations. When you look at, uh, at what he's trying to tell us here, he says, you know, what is your life or your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I think about, uh, I've said this before, but I think about in wintertime, we walk outside and our breath goes out and it just, that's, that brings that to mind for me. That, that when I breathe out in the wintertime, that's the representation of, of my life and how quickly it can dissipate and disappear when you least expect it. Um, uh, this, this, you know, th this gets personal for me uh, because there's been times as, a, uh, as, a, as someone who's been self-employed for the last 12 years that you start to put emotions and um, problems and, and all of the things that come in each and every day of trying to accomplish things in front of what's important and you lose sight of the fact that it is, it is the, it's the Lord that gives you your, your breath each day. It's the Lord that provides for you in each and every way. You lose sight of uh, those around you and the importance of those around you. And, and once you start doing that, you, you fall into sin. And that's a wonderful warning here in verse 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We have two different types of sin, right? The sins of commission and the sins of omission. And there's a warning from James here. If you know what you're supposed to be doing, and you know that you're supposed to be considering God in your plans, and you shut Him out, that's a sinful activity because you know better. And when you know better and you omit what you're supposed to be doing, it's wrong. And there's so much wrapped up in this in these 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 four verses that James puts forth here, um, it, it gives us a perspective of our life, gives us it gives us a perspective of how we should plan, and and how we should always pray about what we are about to do. Nothing wrong with making plans. Nothing wrong with saying, "Hey, you know, let's go do this." But we should say, "If the Lord wills, this is what will happen." And if the Lord wills otherwise, we will trust him and we will hopefully be prepared to go along with it. And, uh, you know, I, I go ahead. We don't keep acknowledge God will give us good things. Then the human side says, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Yeah. Absolutely. Can I take that to that? Um, we have our plans for the day, but somewhere every day in those plans, God will put something in the plans that He wants us to do. Um, do something good, talk to someone, do something for someone, ever. And I think He's saying you need to do it that day, that moment, because tomorrow it won't work. It won't work. May not be there. You may not be there. So. Get a watch for your plans to change. So, so, so add to that. Be 
Be observant and ready to act when God calls you to action. And, and do it then. Pray for that person. Witness that person. You know, whatever it is. Be ready to act. I, I, I like that. I like that. You work that into this, into this, uh, uh, into these verses, and it, it it should change how we go about our day. It should change how we go about our day. You know, it. Uh, I was I was years ago talking with. Uh, um, I may have mentioned this in here before, but with a, a former member of this church who was going through an awful lot uh, with just trouble with work, trouble with family. And they started getting up every morning and they started out each and every day with prayer. They started out each and every day with reading some scripture and it just helped them. They were still going through it. The problems didn't go away, but it reframed everything. And they started looking at things in the light, things in the light of of how God wanted them to look at them. And it starts to change your perspective and it can make you more open to being obedient. Yeah. So don't don't get uh, as he says here. Uh, don't boast in your arrogance in verse sixteen. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and uh, I think Dale put it very, very well that when we go off and we we accomplish things, and we we fail to give the Lord credit, we fail to understand that it was His will that allowed it to occur to begin with, and 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 when we keep pointing to us. Um, we're boasting in our arrogance and complete that verse. All such boasting is evil. Uh, James doesn't, I tell you, he doesn't pull any punches. He talks about what's evil and what's from Satan and he makes it clear. Anything else on that passage? You know, when I catch myself doing something like that, I will, I will, I will always think that tomorrow I will. Yeah. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger. Exactly, yes. Your dad gave me a, uh, a a Bible lesson one day on the front porch, uh, and it was, and I'll tell you about it someday. Oh, not right now because I can't, but it was a good one. By the way, my kids say that when I'm watching television and I start to cry, the first thing I do is reach for a drink. So that's a tell. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my girls have got me figured out. We'll be watching some show and there'll be somebody crying and I'll start to cry. And I'll just I'll look around. Like, oh, I'm at the kitchen table. I think I'll have something to drink now. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, let's look at chapter five and the warning to the rich. Uh, James is at it again here. Chapter 5, verse 1. I'll read some of this. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which kept, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you." Yikes. It almost makes it sound like being rich would be a very, very bad thing. But that's not the connotation here. I mean, that's not the, the context here, is it? We're talking about folks who have taken advantage of people. We're talking about folks who have held back fair wages. We're talking about folks who have um, treated people in such a way that they have literally climbed up the ladder on the backs of the people that they have mistreated. And because of that, their judgment is coming. 
Their judgment is coming, and the Lord of hosts has heard out, has heard the cries uh, of the harvesters, and 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 you're gonna you're you're gonna pay. Um, it says you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. So these are these are crimes committed against saved individuals. These are crimes committed against our treatment that has been put forth toward those who are considered to be righteous. And he says the righteous person doesn't, they're not, they're not going to fight you. They're the, the, the uh, mature righteous person, as James has told us a couple of uh, chapters back is a meek individual. And this meek individual knows that the justice that is coming is going to come from the Lord and he's not going to resist you. And we talked in Sunday school or this this past Sunday and we were talking about about Jesus and how he how he behaved on the cross. If you want to look at a mature Christian, right? Let's look to Jesus for the ultimate maturity and look at his meekness of attitude as he was being crucified. He did not resist. He was the ultimate in, in example of meekness and maturity that James is talking about here. And so you see that these folks have, uh, and, and you know, when we've done some Old Testament studies, you know, obviously too, how Israel was guilty of such things. And uh, um, it, it seems to be a, a, a story of old and it's a story of new. How the rich keep getting richer, and they're they're climbing up the ladder on the backs of the downtrodden, and taking advantage of them, and and so on and so forth. But this is just a warning that uh, you you need to understand. You know, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You should come to the realization it's 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 not good. <laughs> Sounds like our government to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right here. There you go. They will have their time. Have their time and it will not be good for them. No, ma'am. Any, uh, any comments there? I don't think I have much else to add to that. Um, anybody have anything that their Bible wants to uh, uh, maybe add uh, footnote wise? or Okay. Let's move on then. Patience and suffering. Verse 7, James tells us, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Um, in, let me see if I can find this here real quick. I found a reference to the, uh, the rains. Where was that? Here we go. The late and early rains. The Palestinian climate is that, that it's it was a little bit different. It says uh, in in which the autumn rains occur just after sowing and the spring rains just before harvest. Even though three fourths of Palestine's rain fell from December to February, it was those two rains that were the most critical for the uh, for the for the farmer. And so James references them here that <coughs> you have to be patient. And if you're if you're in the midst of suffering. You have to be patient. There is a time to enter it. There's a time to come out of it. And he tells us uh, to establish our hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And he warns us about grumbling with one another. And he says, brothers, and remember, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians who have problems. And um, there's throughout throughout Scripture, we find references that that there's nothing. Nothing good comes of infighting among believers. 
It, that's, that's just totally uh, contrary to anything that God has intended for us to do together in his name. <clears throat> and he talks about being steadfast and how um, the importance of being steadfast. He references Job and the importance of seeing uh, how Job remained steadfast in his beliefs. And we've talked enough about steadfast in here to, to have an understanding about that. But in verse 12, he talks about do not swear either by heaven or by, by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, your, your word should be your word. It shouldn't be necessary to, to, to take it beyond that and to... Now, it, it do, he doesn't say here, and, and there's some references to some other, uh, uh, in some other um, commentaries I've read with regard to this, that we can look through Scripture and, and we can draw the conclusion that it is, there are times when an oath perhaps is acceptable and, and is okay and is necessary. But in your daily activities with one another, it's not necessary for you to swear upon anything. And part of that, the belief is that it has to do with a reference to, quite honestly, it was, it was a reference to God or perhaps taking the Lord's name in vain in this process. And, and you should be able to be trusted. You don't need to go to that level. We should be able to say you're going to do something and do it. And if you say you're not going to do it, we know you're not going to do it. Your word should be your word, and we shouldn't have to worry about the rest of those things. Anything else there? We're moving along pretty quickly here. Oh, the prayer of faith, in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Let me stop there for just a minute. Any, does anybody have a different wording on that they want to share or anybody would like to, to kind of comment on that a little bit? Because this is starting to sound like if someone is sick, we should take him to the elders. He should be anointed with oil. And when they pray for him, his sins will be forgiven. You got to watch that, right? This, there's, there's, a, there's a connection. Sounds like it's starting to build here. Does anybody, anybody want to talk about, about what they hear in that or understand in that? Do they do laying on of hands at the same time? I, I would assume so. Um, I, I don't. I don't know that that's the the reference here. Is it a practice that's even done anymore? I belong to church before that. Yeah, and there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion about whether the anointing of with oil was a was a reference to a a, a tradition, was a reference to anything specifically ritualistic. Or is it just a reference to a reminder of the the work of the Holy Spirit within you? There's there you you'll find a bunch of different directions that that goes in, um, and and so I, I I don't land anywhere because I, don't, I just don't know. Yeah, I just don't know. Does your church um, so like when we uh, approve elders and we get some stuff? We do like a kind of laying on the hands of that like or wisdom. Uh, you do that. <laughs> when you're um, made a deacon or whatever, you know, just do that. <laughs> part of the ordination, yeah. you know, you'll go up and lay your hands on their shoulder or yeah. top of their head right. or whatever. And pray with them. That's and pray, pray for them. Yeah. But do, um, I knew a church that still did like the anointing, like someone was sick or, you know, for safety. Yeah, and that's... So, like the church I belonged to before... Um, like when my son went to the military, they they would have done that, you know, like to keep him uh, to pray over him before he left. Yeah, yeah, and we've we've certainly done those things. You know, we've certainly gotten together, laid hands upon, and prayed for those who were who were deploying. I mean, we've I remember several times we've done things of that in that nature. We've done the oil thing with Larry Brown. Yeah, I mean that was before he was amongst us. Yeah, but. Uh, I guess the question: Do you think churches are getting away from that thing? You know, about it happening very often? No, you, you don't hear about it at all anymore. I, I don't. I mean, that's it's 
And I don't know that I, again, I, he mentions it here. He talks about it here. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I can tell you what the application is, and what he, what's really meant by it. Uh, so yeah, I was just looking for feedback on um, what do you think? What do you think he's actually saying here? Or I'm dying for feedback on the next verse. Well, I'm, I'm just on this. This all of a sudden just kind of hit me. Is it actually praying for them not as a sickness, what we're thinking of, but the sickness of sin? Where they are. That's the other interpretation of this. Yes. That, that's what I was getting at in verse 15. Yes. That is that's the other interpretation of this because of that verse. The other interpretation of this is that we're not really talking about about physical, or James isn't really talking about physical ailments as much as he's talking about spiritual ailments. And that in the praying of that, then the individual is saved. And when the individual is saved, then he is forgiven of his sins. And so that's the process. Yeah, that's the process. Yes. What's all, What's that? I've got a bunch of stuff. Do you now? <laughs> do, they, do they go along with that? Yeah, they go along with that. Okay. It just says James is referring to someone who is incapacitated physically. In Scripture, one was both medicine was to talk the parable of the Good Samaritan and a symbol of the Spirit because it was used as anointing kings. It refers back to saying. Thus mm -hmm. all can represent both the medical and the spiritual spheres of life. Christians should not separate the physical and the spiritual. Jesus Christ is Lord over both the body and the spirit. People in the church are not alone. Members of Christ's body should be able to count on others for support and prayer, especially when they are sick or suffering. The elders should be on call to respond to the illness of any member, and the church should stay alert to pray for the needs of all its members. The prayer nice. offered in faith in 15 does not refer to the faith of the sick person, but to the faith of the people praying. The faith of the people praying. <laughs> God heals, faith doesn't, and all prayers are subject to God's will, but our prayers are part of God's healing process. That is why God often waits for our prayers of faith before intervening to heal a person. Christ has made it possible for us to be directly to God for a forgiveness call that sin. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll look at that here. 16, then let's go ahead and get and get down through this then. 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The, the point there is that sometimes the sickness that is among you, if we're talking about physical sickness, sometimes the sickness that is among you is due to sin that has not been dealt with. And sometimes the only way to deal with that is in a community way. If it's a, if it's a sin that has involved the entire church and the entire congregation, then perhaps everyone needs to get together and deal with that and confess it and pray for forgiveness and do what we're called to do. So it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Then he talks about Elijah. Um, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and <clears throat> heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, referring to if someone is wandering and you bring them back into the fold and they truly reach saving faith, then you will save the soul from death and you will cover the multitude of their sins. It, it is all a reference to dealing with sin in these different areas. And and yes, sometimes corporate sin uh, occurs and and there's definitely scripture um, foundation for saying that um, sin in and among the church can be a cause for issues and sickness. So, yeah, Mary, please. As a young Christian, James was one of my favorite books. And I have a preacher that used to come to our church on the Bible. We don't have any Bibles anymore. And he says, I believe the Bible. I even believe it's holy, just like the Lord said. I had gone through some horrible illnesses. And I read that 
verse in the Bible. If you need a sick among you, then you call the elders of the church to pray over you. And I did that. I was to go back into the hospital on Tuesday, I think it was, and they came down on Friday. They were going to put a shirt in my head, and I knew what that meant. So I came in, all four of the victims came in, Facebook's at that time. And it, it, was, it, it was terrifying because I knew what they was going to do on Tuesday. On Monday, my doctor called me after they had prayed for me. And he said, Mary, I want to see you today. And I said, okay. He said, I don't know what happened, but all of it's gone. We don't need it, but you do. This is why it's one of my favorite books. And, and if churches get together and pray for each other like they used to, we don't see that anymore. It's just gone by the wayside, like a lot of things have gone by the wayside. And that's my I know, I know, Mary. There's that's part of being too busy. It is. It goes back to all the things we've talked about. And look, we say it all the time there's power in prayer. We don't realize how much power there is in prayer. We don't. We can say it, but do we do we really understand what it means? And it's not that there's just power in bearing going home and sitting in your closet and praying. There's power in corporate prayer. There's power in people of God coming together and lifting up together. The there's there there's a boy. Uh, uh, John Piper one time was asked, "Is can you point me to a specific verse in Scripture that says that God will answer my prayer if I, you know, if if if, if more people pray about something?" Versus one person praying. And he paused for a second. He said, I don't think I can point you to a specific verse in Scripture. And I'm going to paraphrase him. But he said, here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that God wants and is worthy of praise. And when you have one person pray and their prayer gets answered and that one person praises, that's good. But if you have... 50, 100, 200, 1,000 or more people praying for something and God answers that and all of those people praise him, that's even better. So he said, I can't point you to a specific verse, but I can point to a concept that God wants praise and that he works in our lives and does things expecting to receive it. And the more people that are aware of what he has done and sees the answering, the more praise he will receive. And I think you need to remember that when you pray. And it was a valid point. Valid point. No, go ahead. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. There was a lot of praying for people and the anointing of oil. But I don't see it as much as we're too busy. I, I see it as... We just don't believe. Well, I think that portion of it I'll go with. I think Jimmy's reference was to the the, the corporate prayer. We don't all get together and do that anymore. Um, but but you're right. I think you're you're right. Do we do we? How do we take God's word? Yeah, yeah. Do we really believe it? And we can we can ask ask ourselves that question about so many verses of scripture that we gloss over when we do what we're doing here. We just blow through. How much of it do we do we really say, is that a promise from God? And should we pay more attention to that? And, like, and if we're praying for somebody for a specific thing, like whether to help them do, with whatever sickness, if we're not if we're putting our faith in that person to respond, we're putting our faith in the wrong person. We're putting we're not putting our faith in God that God's going to heal that person or help that person out when we're expecting that person to change themselves. So that, and then we're praying with the wrong heart and you know, that's not the heart that God wants us to pray. That rolls back into everything we talked about in James too, though, with James saying, don't be double-minded. Pray with, pray with expectations. Pray with, pray with the expectation that you will receive the answer. You know, because if you don't pray that way, then obviously your heart's in the wrong place. Yeah. yeah. Can you go back to Esther, Esther, 
she was facing, she couldn't be killed. And she called Mordecai and she says, go back and have them all fast and pray because I'm going to this. They were going to extinguish the Jewish people at that point. But when he went back and prayed, they, they did corporate prayer. And she was received mm -hmm. because of that. <laughs> I appreciate this immensely. Thank you guys so much for um, uh, coming here and participating and, and being open to being prodded and poked and, um, and throwing things at you and, um, and, and talking about these things. It's, uh, it does me good, and I hope it does everyone here good uh, to, to dig into God's Word this way. Um, it's something that we need to do. Well, I think to ask for, we need to be in the habit of asking for that prayer for other oh, we do. situations, not just because, but because we share that. In the end of my footnote here, it just said, every believer is a priest to other believers, and it referenced back to First Peter. Mm. So when we add that corporate prayer, like you said, we're spreading that and we're sharing that, but it is serious enough we're thinking about others and the needs and the sins that have been committed to pray for them. And we're being obedient. Being obedient. We're being obedient. Plain and simple. All right. Well, we'll see where we go next week. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't feel particularly led in a direction right now, um, but we'll we'll see where that lands and uh, we'll talk about it. Um, I guess that we'll go ahead and wrap, wrap things up. I've, I've held over. It's a good thing we're not having choir practice. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be in trouble. Oh, Ron, would you mind dismissing us this evening? Thank you. Heavenly Father, Lord, as I come to you this evening again, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here and just to study your word. There's so much wisdom in it. We just have faith in you. Exercise and have us turn off the beat. Lead us throughout the week and bring us back some of your prayers in the snake. Amen. Amen. Amen.